This is Shayla Adams-Stafford, and you're listening to Project-Based Learning in Practice. Thank you for tuning in to PBL in Practice, a weekly broadcast where we talk with top leaders in project-based learning to discover best practices, share successes and failures, and learn from each other. My name is Shayla Adams-Stafford, and I've been an educator for the past 10 years, focusing specifically on project-based learning. I had the amazing opportunity to speak at the White House in 2015 to share how PBL looks in my classroom before a room of national leaders. I'm a member of the National Faculty of Buck Institute and founder of Remix Education, a nonprofit that serves first-generation college-bound students. Enough about me, let's get into our guest. Our guest for today is Alprentice McCutcheon, who's been a history teacher in New York since 1997. Al spent a good portion of his career using Socratic inquiry, debate, performance-based assessments, and critical writing as part of his work to help students contribute to the thinking world. Al received his BA in History and African American Studies from Wesleyan University. He attended the American University in Cairo to study European imperialism and ancient Near Eastern history. He also holds an MA from Teachers College, Columbia University, and an MA in Islamic Studies from Middlesex University. Al has also co-led study trips to Europe, Senegal, and the Gambia, Spain, and Morocco. Most importantly, Al is a husband and father of three girls. Hello. Hi, Al. How are you? Hey, how's it going? Going great. Going great. Good to chat with you. It's been a while. Sure. <laughs> so we just heard a little bit about your background, but what else should our listeners know about you? Uh, well, other than the background, I am, I'm, I'm, uh, this is my 22nd year teaching uh, mm -hmm. in secondary, secondary education. Uh, I've worked with, I've worked with grades, literally all, all the grades 7 through 12. Uh, I'm currently working right now with 10th graders and teaching global history. I've just, uh, in terms of our listeners, I've just um, transitioned from one from one position uh, of my place of my in, um, in a district in Westchester, New York, New York, um, where, I've, where I was 15 years, uh, to my home district actually. So I'm actually working where I live, which is phenomenal. Oh, that's my, always nice. <laughs> my daughter will be going to that. My my, my oldest my oldest daughter goes there now. She's an, she's a fresh she's a, um, current from um, Frost there. Oh. And, <laughs> Uh, so I work in the same district as I live, and it's phenomenal. Uh, no, it, it cuts down, first of all, for commutes, uh, but allows me to be there and to really have an active hand in the education of my children, and and uh, yeah. and really have yeah. a in, in, in steering the conversation around education with the students and young people in this district, um, and yeah. really have that voice and be a. Mm -hmm. And I know that you mentioned that you love 80s and 90s hip-hop, so you have to tell us what's your favorite group as a Native New Yorker. Oh, group? Or it, well, it's probably individuals, um, probably Big Bang, KRS-One, Slick Rick. You know, I'm, com I'm coming from that kind of school. Um, <laughs> late 80s, Wu-Tang, Nas. I can't forget my man Nas. Um, so I, I, I'm a hip-hop bird to the, to the fullest. I'm from New York, so I gotta <laughs> rep those gotta represent. pretty <laughs> tall. Them. 
you know, clean, so on and so forth. But I love I love music as a whole because really, in terms of what's what maybe our listeners maybe your listeners want to know more about me. When I I use music to help kind of engage the students, so. I know young people, you know, I'm not necessarily into the young trap sound today, but, you know, we can kick it about some music on general levels. But when, and when, when my students are doing work in the class, I try to have some background music to kind of add to the energy, um, especially in the first or second period when they're coming in kind of dreary and dead and so on and so forth. I try to have some music in the background because music kind of begins the process of stimulating them. It stimulates that mind, it activates that part of the brain, which in, involves deductive reasoning. Uh, which is that kind of mathematical side of the brain, so um, that problem-solving side of the brain. So I try to have some music in the background, whether it be classical, whether it's some hip-hop instrumentals, or maybe just go full, put some J. Cole on, because the kids ask for it. <laughs> I can respect J. Cole uh, and, and, his lyric, and his lyricism. Uh, I, 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 I kind of get the lesson started. <laughs> started. Or um, it's funny, like, to, like, well, funny to get the job where I am in New Rochelle. I'm, in, I'm teaching in New Rochelle, so my 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 demo lesson actually involved a Kanye West song, "Diamonds Are Forever," because I was talking about I would I, my lesson, my demo lesson was about sustainable energy uh, in terms of global issues today, in terms of sustainable energies and um, uh, the problems with depleting depleting resources um, as part of the global studies curriculum in terms of contemporary issues. Uh, so I used the Diamonds of Forever song to kind of lead us into that lesson because I knew they understood. I knew they understood Kanye West. I knew, and the song was in the was in the morning. We kind of get them up and kind of once again activate that side of the brain where we do some problem solving. Right. No, I love it. <laughs> so, so Al, tell us a little bit more about what brought you to project based learning. I was. Um, I, 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 was an, I was a disengaged student in, in middle and in junior high school. They called it junior high school back then. And I then in high school, I went to a new school, another school rather, across town in Harlem, uh, in East Harlem called Central Park East Secondary School. And this school was totally different than any other school I had ever been, been, been involved in. Uh, it was a school that was um, engaged in cooperative learning. Um, we were doing, um, you know, we were working together instead of individually. The tables were either either Socratically um, arranged or arranged in triads or, or quartets. Um, we were doing exhibitions and projects and portfolios. Uh, so these were the graduation requirements. These, these were the um, requirements to get to be elevated into a grade or to get out of high school. I had to literally do 14 portfolios, project-based wow. portfolios. Not, not tests, not regions. I had to do actual either what, and whatever I chose to do, whether it be a writing assignment or kind of a project, I had to create something to get out of high school. So my, my background um, for, as a student comes out of, and this is run by a woman named Debbie, My Debbie Meyer. She's, um, she was the principal of Central Park East, a student of a man named Ted Sizer or Theodore Sizer, who wrote the Horace's books and Horace Compromise, Horace's school. Um, mm -hmm. She comes from that school of, of, of progressive education, and, and she was the principal, and she led a, a, a staff in trying to just rethink, reimagine education, reimagine having students show what they know, recognizing right. that, that, that a singular test is, is nowhere near enough to have students opportunity enough to show what they know. And so she established an opportunity for us through the school, Central Park Secondary School, to show uh, the, the, the teachers there, the, the staff there, what we know. So I, so from 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, my, in my latter years in high school, 
I was able to, you know, really imprint this process into my mindset, into my practice. And it changed me so much. Uh, we also had these kind of frameworks, frameworks called the habits of mind, you know, looking at connections, perspective and evidence and relevance, relevance, especially because as a teenager, you know, it's, it's all irrelevant, you know, who cares, right? So the goal was to make it relevant as possible to make those connections. Um, and, and so uh, I, I grew up as a student under these kind of frameworks and uh, pedagogical frameworks and thinking frameworks. So when I became a teacher, right after grad, right after undergrad, I was able to go right back into that very school. They gave me my first, Central Parkway Circular School gave me my very first job out of, out of college to come back and teach. The very same community that gave me the intellectual tools to help me do uh, well in undergrad and, um, and to begin to think about coming back and teaching. And that's exactly what I wanted to do because I saw how much it transformed my life as a very disengaged student uh, in undergrad, I mean, rather in, 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 in junior high school, to a student who began to uh, want to engage and to a student who now, or to a person who now uh, loves to travel and who loves to, um, uh, and love to articulate himself while traveling. So um, yeah. I was able to uh, practice those skills as an educator now, as a pedagogue now, in terms of performance-based assessments and practices. Uh, and then, in two, and, 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 you know, so I'm doing that for, you know, several years. And then in 2015, I was able to um, go and um, sit in a, in a PBL 101 in 2015, summer of 2015, and be so t- turned, turned on by that which is happening with BIA and Buck Institute of Education. Um, and my energy level was so high because I was so in- interested and excited about this, this organization that's actually doing what I was, A, as a student trained to do, and then as a teacher, um, still being trained to do and trying to impart these ideas and frameworks into my student. And now he's an organization doing the very same thing that I, and who knew of Debbie Meyer, who was very familiar with Debbie Meyer's work and, and Central Parkway Secretary Sewell's work. Um, so there was a connection there. And uh, so we kind of knew the same players, you know, you know um, and, and my energy was so high that the uh, facilitator said, hey, listen, would you ever think about um, being a part of our team, being a part of the Buck Institute of Education team and, and, doing, nice. and, and doing these workshops? And I said, um, and I said, sure. Can I get more, more, uh, more materials? I'm thinking I can get more materials. I just bring to my. For me, it's all about my classroom. I was thinking immediately, how can I bring this stuff to my classroom? So I thought, yeah, I could do this. I can bring more stuff to my classroom. Like, yeah, that's fine. But you'll also, you know, you'll be a faculty member, so you'll be, you know, receiving a handsome salary also at the same time. So this is win-win. I can bring more things to my classroom to further engage them to do more authentic things that they're going to need for the 21st century. And I happened to get a, you know, as, as they said, a handsome salary. So that's how I came to be. That's how I came to continue my project based on my performance based journey um, as we speak right now. So begin back in high school, essentially, and then continues to 2019. Awesome. Awesome. So you basically went from being a participant to being a facilitator. <laughs> so the, but you have had so much background as a student and as a teacher in PBL. Um, it just seems like a natural flow right there. So tell us, what do you think is your PBL superpower? <laughs> um, you know what? When I think about that superpower, I'm really, I'm really, I didn't really know how to answer that um, or think about that. But, excuse me, it's, um, it has to be my memory because um, 
I, 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 if one thing, I, I try to pride myself on recalling how I was as a disengaged student. And right. I know so many kids who are just not feeling or selling, you know, buying what we're selling, so to speak, right? Right. Um, so how can that? So that's my charge. Remembering what it was like for me uh, to be totally uh, disengaged, totally disinterested in, to, in, in, in that which was happening in the classroom, uh, that which the teacher in the front of the room uh, was giving all the rest of us in rows uh, to kind of regurgitate for a test, uh, totally disengaged from that process. Um, I could do it if I put myself, put my eyes to it, but I just didn't, you know, I didn't want to. Um, so for me, for me, it's the memory and recalling those experiences and trying to turn those experiences uh, that were pretty, pretty um, neutral at best for me into positive ones for, for my current students. And I have to remind myself a lot of times, and, and this is, I have to do this to, to my colleagues sometimes, I have, to remind, I have to remind my colleagues as well as myself first, first and foremost, my colleagues, hey, listen, how are, you, how are you at 15, 16, 17? Were you this A-plus, totally engaged student, or did you, or did we all at one point in time kind of, you know, zone out for whatever reason? It's up to us to recall how we were as those students uh, to make ourselves more, more, more engaged and more relevant and more really authentic to the, to the students that we have in front of us. If they see, if they see us, I'm sorry. I just said Absolutely. If they see us as these kind of infallible beings before them that never made mistakes, never bombed on a test, were always engaged, which is which from some may be the case, but I'm sure for the for a good, I, I'm sure for a good number of humans and people and teachers also, you know, I'm sure there were times we weren't engaged all the time. What were those things that really engaged us? Let's recall those things and try to re reproduce those things in class. Or are we just going to assume that everybody needs to be um, this kind of immaculate or organized or engaged student uh, at 15 uh, when and put us and put our standards in 2019 on, on kids uh, who haven't gone through the, the, the maturation that we've gone through. We've not only gone through the kind of social maturation, but we've also been teaching our craft for several years. So, of course, we know what we know. <laughs> we do it every day. And of course, a student doesn't know because it's the first time they've been introduced to it. What PBL does, it gives students a chance to take these deep dives and reinforce it and, and what, so, and what social, social psychologists call imprinting. It gives a chance to imprint it through reinforcing and, and continuing to look at it through multiple sensory levels as opposed to just seeing it one way. Right. And I, I think that you're touching on a really important point of just thinking of the teacher also as the student and trying to put themselves in the, in the shoes of a student as they're planning and designing their projects. So I want you to tell us a little bit about a breakthrough PBL moment. Um, and so this should be related to your PBL superpower, but you know, Al, you have <clears throat> unique experience teaching in AP courses. And I know that a lot of our listeners are trying to figure out how do I um, maintain the rigor of AP courses and the, the sort of the nature of the, those types of courses with project-based learning. Can those two coexist? So if you could just give us a breakthrough P PBL moment, that would be awesome. Sure, sure. So, so anyone who teaches AP knows it's like Mach 5. <laughs> it's like going at rapid <laughs> 
which is a whole other conversation is, 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 is in terms of what should AP, what should advanced placement really look like? Is it, is it because, because these students have higher skill sets, is, does it mean going faster? Does that really help them? Or does it mean now taking the opportunities to go deeper? I would say the latter. It's right. for me it's the opportunity to go deeper into the content and really use all the different disciplines that we can to really extrapolate and have students prepare themselves better and more, and more comprehensively for not only that topic, but how to, how to explain and analyze that topic that are going to help them for the 21st century in terms of the 21st century skills or success skills that we talk about. So for me, that, for me, that breakthrough comes, came uh, when I began to kind of um, condense, um, to take, take, give myself permission uh, to look at the curriculum. And, this, and, and by the way, this, this came through me teaching for, for, for several years. So, I've been, so I knew the curriculum. I knew, I knew AP US curriculum. Um, I knew USS Creek curriculum, so I knew what I could, what I could use, what I can't use, what's going to be valuable, what's not as valuable, uh, what students need, what, you know, I, I knew the variables. I'm beginning, and I'm asking those questions about what the variables should be in the classroom. So now I'm getting a chance to tweak, the, tweak it a little bit. I get a chance to kind of look and, 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 and really play this chess game of what's needed, what's not needed, what, what, what I need to anticipate, what I need to um, think about and rethink. So I begin to say, let's bring together a few unit, smaller units into this one larger unit. So for example, if I'm in, one of my projects I did with my AP students was the project on um, the, the, um, the, industrial, the industrial age, essentially. Mm-hmm. Now, this, the industrial age is going to have us incorporate a few different smaller units, the industrial age, immigration, and the progressive era. So in those three units... I get a chance to spend some time in, in you know, in, in, with those three units in kind of a larger unit, industrial ages and, and its consequences. And, and ask the essential, and ask kind of the, the driving question, um, uh, what would, uh, how would people uh, respond to the problems and solu- solutions of the industrial age? Yeah. So, now, so you call this kind of like your super unit, if you will. Exactly, exactly. So I now create, Mm-hmm. And the goal of it is to wh- how does how do you relate that to PBL? So now, so 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 right now that I have the super unit, what I now can do is have the opportunity to go deeper and take time because PBL it takes time. I can't just yeah. the, the typical the typical AP class. You're in a unit and out in maybe two two days max three. Right. <laughs> And, and uh, you're going you're gonna to cover a major event, a major time period in two days that took several decades, about 100 years, and, two, and, and, two, and max two days. So this gives us an opportunity to spend maybe a f- several weeks um, if we expand and extend it out into, into combining these two to three to four mini units to one large unit. So now that I have the time to do that, now I can, I can, I can bring in uh, our driving question and plan backwards and let students know that we're going to be doing some problem solution and problem solving around. So now I can bring in my, Q, my, my question formulation technique question. So my Q focus is not gonna be um, uh, minimum wage. So if our project is gonna be around, centered around minimum wage, now I can bring my, my question formulation technique and my Q focus about minimum wage and ask students to now think about uh, what, you know, what comes to mind, what questions come to mind when you think about minimum wage. And this is perfect because now it acts as our antenna, it acts as our, uh, our hook 
to, to not only right. the project, but the larger, the larger comprehensive unit, because a lot of my students are uh, working either for discretionary funds or because as, as some are recent immigrants, they're, they're the caregivers or they're part of the caregiving process. Their checks go to the, to the household. So talking about minimum wage uh, or, or, and, 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 and excites and activates their antennas in terms of what we're about to get into because they're directly affected right now. The way I, the way wow. I organize, the way I organize, we organize all my units. We start from the contemporary first. That's going to be our hook because I get it. 15, 16, 17 year olds could care less about the past. I am totally at peace with that. So what do I do knowing that? Once again, going back to my superpower of memory, right? Going back to how I was as a high school student. And most kids are wired this way also. Most, most adolescents are wired for today. They only see the immediate, uh, the immediacy of the, of the now. They don't see necessarily, they don't care about the past and they can't, they're not wired for the future right now. So we have to worry about the immediacy of the present. So what I have to do is try to concern myself with contemporary issues that are so compelling such as minimum wage, and it's going to excite their and their excite their in, in, um, their ideas, and, and and now we can move forward. So talking about minimum wage and asking them to do a, a question formula, a question focus around that, now takes us back when they begin to write down their questions about this, and we kind of do our group and our consensus building about where we want to go and move forward. Now it begins to ask us ask the question, well, where does the idea of minimum wage come from? Now we can bring the history. Al, that a really great way to hook kids specifically thinking about that time period where there's so much going on in the Gilded Age. Do you ever feel like by creating this super unit that you're weeding out a lot of the facts that students will need to be successful on the test? Do you ever feel like, oh man, or how do you make sure that you cover all of the content? Because I know that a lot of APUS teachers, um, in particular as a former APUS um, history teacher, that's a major concern, right? Uh, that they're going to miss out on a lot of content by doing something like that. Sure. Well, for, so great question. Thank you. Uh, so for this super unit where I'm covering Three, three, major, three major time periods that are going to be on the test. We're going, to, we're going to do this Gilded Age. We're going to see industrialization. We're going to see immigration. And we're going to see the progressive era. So those are three major time periods that are going to be really heavy. As a matter of fact, that's when the AP really starts kicking up and picking up in terms of content on the exam. So it's really great. So it really takes me kind of looking at AP exams, previous AP exams, and seeing what the patterns are and seeing uh, what types of questions and the, and the volume of questions that are, on per, that are per unit. Um, per teaching unit and, and to see where my heaviest volume of numbered questions will be. Um, and, and, and they're going to be beginning in, in, in the 1890s, 1880s, 1890s, um, through, the, through, the, through, the, uh, through the late 20th century. So that's where it really begins to pick up anyway. So I'm at, for that particular, that particular super unit, it's actually strategically uh, um, advantageous to kind of do it then at that point in time, A, it's a great, it's a great PBL deep dive. And B, yeah. we're gonna, I've seen a lot of the, the questions on previous exams, and that's where you're gonna pick them up. You're gonna see a lot of the a lot of the conversations around um, you know, strikes which are happening 21st century and 19th century. You're gonna see those yeah. dots on the on you're going to see conversations around who's leading those strikes in terms of the progressives of that time period then and then and now certainly certainly then um you're going to see a conversation around the immigrant groups who are engaged in that uh who are for example today who's working in the fast food and service industries today 
and but certainly who were working, who's those immigrant groups who were trying to struggle for uh, greater working rights back then in terms of the Italians and South and Southeast Europeans, who are those newer groups coming in. So you'll be we'll be able to juxtapose those Southeast Europe, Southeast and Europeans and, and, and East Asian cultures of of China and Japan uh, with kind of the Latinos uh, of today uh, who are who are bearing the brunt of the immigration uh, stigmas today. Not not mm. that they're the only coming into the country. So with this particular unit, it's not as difficult in other units. Uh, where we may maybe not do a project, but we still may have to pick and choose where I, I want to cover. It's always, a, it's, it's a, I mean, the test itself is a toss up because you just don't definitively know what's going to be on the test. So it's, 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 it's a guessing game at best anyway. I'm just trying to uh, at best guess right in terms of the types of questions and the volume of questions that are going to be in the test. But we do know uh, through seeing as, as many tests, as many, as many of the new tests questions as possible for the past four or five years uh, that uh, Gilded Age, 1880s to 1920s, uh, you're going to find a good portion of that stuff on it. Um, and it's a great way to connect it to today. Of all the units probably in, 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 in APUS or in U.S. curriculum in general, that's where we get to begin to make those connections because it deals with immigration, hot topic today. It deals with working conditions, hot topic today in terms of uh, minimum wage increasing. Uh, and, and it all and it deals with progressive era in terms of those people in government in, in positions of power trying to actualize change, either social and or political change in society. Um, so that's that and the and that and that's the piece to it. We're now actively engaged in the student as student as students as, as citizens, because now the people, the project is not just them. I mean, even gotten to with the components of the project, the products, the project. It's not just them kind of. Uh, giving the facts and the content, it's now them engaging themselves as, as, as people, of, as agents of change. So they're writing petitions, online petitions to, to their local, um, uh, the local members of Congress and, and, and city council people in terms of advocating or not, by the way, or not advocating for the, because uh, it's their yes. choice in terms of the direction they want to go. Some students say it's not a good idea to have a, a student, uh, uh, a minimum wage increase. Some say it is. It's their voice and choice. Um, and, and, and but they now take it upon themselves to make it a public product to write write letters and write petition letters uh, and kind of take it out. So they begin to begin ages of change and activate their own voice well beyond my classroom. For me, that curriculum. I love that. I love that. And, and I, I heard two really important things in there. You said activating student voice and choice, allowing them to determine whether or not they're going to advocate for or against this particular policy. And then this, you know, real concept of this product that has an advocacy component. Um, and I think that particularly with that unit, that's a, a great unit for students to actually get to practice what they've been reading and researching. Um, instead of just doing, doing a bunch of definitions and memorizing a bunch of, you know, muckrakers, having them actually put that into practice. I, I think that's awesome. I love Absolutely. that. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. I was going to say, um, so we're we're uh, we're winding down here, and and you know, I think you've kind of integrated some of your challenges into uh, some of the breakthrough in in using this super unit. Um, so, can you just tell us any specific tips or um, organizational tools that have helped you as a PBL practitioner? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's about, um, once again, organizationally, really knowing um, my curriculum. 
really being able to, if I can only rethink and reimagine this super unit, if I really know um, my curriculum. Right now, I'm actually um, a candidate for national board certification. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that uh, fit it completed by the end of this year. And one of the major components with the national board certification is know is 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 knowing your students. Content knowledge, yeah. On the curriculum. So really, it's it's I can't do that unless I know really back and forth what's the scope of sequence, and then juxtaposing that with what's being asked of me by either college board and or the state in terms of regents or state exams. So I have to know my curriculum um, really back and forth. So organization. I, and I have to begin there. Then I have to begin to kind of think about um, how, do I, how do I bring out the best in my students? And for me, it's using guard. I, I love Gardner's principles and Gardner's theory around multiple intelligence. So I, I use some of the, I use some surveys and, and we can call them quizzes, some online quizzes now uh, to kind of get students thinking about uh, what their dominant or, or a few of their dominant intelligences are. And that's where we begin to kind of, first of all, have them kind of self-reflect and begin to acknowledge, hey, I have a skill here. Um, even though it may not have been cognitively articulated, now they can begin to see it uh, kind of codified in this document that they've just completed by way of this, this quiz. So now they see uh, what skill sets uh, they bring to the table, which strengths they bring to the table in terms of, the, in terms of guarding the steering intelligences. And now I see also what I can do for them in terms of helping them to bring them out by way of the content. Right. right. So if I, so if I make so these are things. If I'm looking at Gardner's theories, if I'm looking at Gardner's intelligences, how can I incorporate that into the project? And in terms of the reflection pieces or some of the public products, how can I put some of those things into in my planning? So I'm looking at Gardner's right. and also just knowing my curriculum as much as possible. Absolutely. Well, Al, thank you so much for spending some time with us today, and I, I think you've dropped some great gems of PBL knowledge for our listeners. Uh, How can folks keep up with you uh, if they want to just pick your brain a bit more after they listen to the podcast? Sure. You can, I mean, anyone can contact me by by way of email. My email is ashanti43, that's A-S-H-A-N-T-I 43 at gmail.com. Or you can hit me up on Facebook, uh, Al Prentice McCutcheon, um, Facebook, Twitter, and um, and have a kind. Of, let's continue the conversation as well as LinkedIn also. Awesome. Well, LinkedIn. well, thank you again, and we look forward to hearing more updates and seeing some, hopefully, some posts about your your super unit. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much, Al. Have a great one. Just to just to finish, we just finished our super unit on. I'm te- I'm teaching tenth grade. We just finished our super unit on revolutions. Uh, awesome. <laughs> French Revolution, Dutch Revolution. Um, so we just finished that super. Okay, we'll definitely uh, post some photos and uh, we'd love to see it. Absolutely. Okay, talk to you soon. Good one. Thank you again. This week's podcast is brought to you by the Buck Institute for Education, who believes that all students, no matter where they live or what their background, should have access to quality project-based learning to deepen their learning and achieve success in college, career, and life. As a teacher and coach, I can honestly say they have some awesome resources available on their website. 
everything from books to project planning guides to project calendars, rubrics, assessment maps, you name it. They offer services that can really help your staff or district implement high-quality PBL, including training, coaching, and my favorite, Project Slices, where educators get the experience of going through a PBL project as if they were students. Check out all they have to offer on their site, www.bie.org. Again, that's www.bie.org. That's all from me, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Sorry there's been such a delay between episodes. I'm expecting my first child with my husband, so we've been in baby prep mode. Make sure that you go to shaylastafford.com for more episodes. And again, hit that subscribe button. Have a great week.